Jim. Hey, Kevin. Welcome. Welcome. Great to see you. Great to see you too. Thanks for coming out, joining us here at the Future of Supply Chain. And, and we're going to talk about a little bit of e-commerce. We're going to talk about a new announcement, new news, and then we'll Hopefully, we'll talk about Ukraine a little bit because I know that's that's top of your mind. So let's start out. You have some breaking news today. I always like that to come out here with breaking news, and Ben, you have it right here. You got it. Well, first of all, Kevin, thank you. Great to be here. Great to be back at a live conference here at FreightWaves. And the, secondly, yes, we have some exciting news today. Cambridge Capital just led a fifty-six million dollar investment in a company called Bird which is the European e-commerce fulfillment software company. And so I'm happy to say that in a world where there's lots of uncertainty about what's happening in technology investment, a year where the NAS- 50% of the NASDAQ stocks have dropped, more than 50%, we're still investing in great companies, and Bird's a terrific example. And the reason why we chose to invest in Bird was, while here in the U.S., there are five companies that have become unicorns in e-commerce fulfillment. You've got Shipmunk, Shipbob, Flex, Deliver, Stored. And in Europe, nobody is separated from the pack yet. We think Bird has the capacity to be the next big winner. And so we're delighted to support them and back Alex and the team. That's fantastic. Congratulations. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great investment. How does e-commerce fulfillment kind of differ between you know, the European side of the, of the pond and, and this side of the pond? What are some of the, 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 the items that are the same and some that are completely unique? Well, what's common is if you're a direct-to-consumer brand and you're trying to sell, whether it's in the U.S. or in Europe, it's helpful for you to have a partner to make it easier to, to reach the full region. And that, the same reason why companies like Shipmunk, uh, Shipbub, Flex, Deliver, and Stored succeeded Look, it's because e-commerce is growing and direct-to-consumer brands value having a partner that helps them handle the whole fulfillment process. Uh, so I think that's common uh, across both sides of the pond. What's different is Europe is a lot harder. I mean, to state the obvious, you've got multiple countries as opposed to one market. Mm-hmm. So there's more regulatory work. There's more cross-border work, language uh, you know, I mean, the, the jo- Churchill said that America and, and Britain were two countries separated by a common language. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if we're separated by a common language, think about what it means for the rest of Europe, you know, UK and, and Spain, France, Germany, mm-hmm. et cetera. Et cetera. So, so I think being able to handle that is harder. And then look, finally, um, you have a series of smaller markets where there could be differences from geography to geography. So you have to be able to handle the nuance associated with that. So I think that's a reason why Europe hasn't yet had that billion-dollar winner that's emerged in fulfillment yet. We think Bird has the capacity to do it. Do you think because there's, there's so, many, so many more challenges with borders in different countries, different markets, that the upside in Europe is, is a little bit more upside right now? than what you'd find in any investments here in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, in aggregate, the European market is comparable in size to the U.S., but it's more fragmented. And therefore, if you could be the best, there's more separation. So the total market size might be the same, but the universe of competitors might be smaller. Mm-hmm. The, different, the opportunities to differentiate might be bigger. Um, valuations in Europe are a little bit more conservative than they are in the U.S., so that helps. Um, and finally, 
uh, although this might might be changing, mm-hmm. uh, so much of the U.S. market has been consumed by this get big fast mentality. There's a little bit more focus on unit economics and mm-hmm. and kind of the sound, sound business fundamentals that in the long run, I think, matter, at least in our experience in companies in Europe like Bird. Yeah, I think the, um, the, the, the more difficult something is to do, the, the more challenges, the more upside there is to it, and there are more, more ways to, to be able to differentiate yourself with less competitors. I, I think uh, congratulations again on that. Let's talk about e-commerce here. Let's talk about what gets you excited about e-commerce and growth and what you kind of see over the next few years. We just went through the pandemic that really just uh, e-commerce growth just exploded. It exploded higher than it was growing already. Um, what's your, your outlook for the next couple of years? Well, I'm going to share two thoughts here. Bad news and good news, okay? The bad news is, well, actually, two elements of bad news. One, we're in a market correction. Like I said, 50% of the NASDAQ has mm-hmm. dropped, 50% or more. Also, you know, you, you remember, we all saw that chart. There was this McKinsey chart that every... It, Every e-commerce company in, in, in the room probably had it in their slide deck. And it showed that from 2010 to 2020, I think we saw penetration of e-commerce as a percent of retail go from 5 to 15%. In the first quarter of COVID, it went from 15 to 25. And this was amazing. And a, a decade of growth got compressed into a quarter. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, the latest news shows that a lot of that actually retrenched. So we're almost back to where we were at the beginning of COVID in terms of penetration. Okay, fine. But on the other hand, the good news is e-commerce is still here to stay and the need for great logistics and supply chain services that leverage e-commerce, those are still vital. And that's great news for companies in last mile, like our friends at Bring and Delivery Circle, returns management, like our friends at Reverse Logics, um, e-commerce fulfillment, which again, we've, we've been talking about, and a, a host of other areas. So I think if you get past the hype cycle and the the bubble and and the post bubble uh, kind of you know uh, correction that we're in now, mm-hmm. there's still this huge underlying growth in e-commerce. So the logistics to support that remains as important as ever. It does remain as important as ever. We were talking about this uh, last week when we did, did our pre-call about let's talk about the bubble and the, the great things that will come out of this bubble is dis, you know disruption, pandemics they create innovation and how we innovated to, to fulfill and, and handle those e-commerce orders that, that we saw with, with huge growth in, in that bubble-like territory uh, created an infrastructure that will be more sustainable, more predictable, better service. We we're talking about the telecom industry and the huge bubble back 20 or so years ago where everyone got into the telecom game, laying cable, it bu- that bubble burst tremendously, right? It was, it was a horrible bubble. But that's the reason why we have cheap internet. That's the reason why we're connected is so much wire was laid during that time. Kevin, you're stealing my lines. What am I going <laughs> to say? Yes, I Sorry. agree. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to ramble on like that. But what are some of the e-commerce uh, innovations that you've seen over the last couple of years that we didn't have before and it is going to sustain growth for for everybody going forward? Well, first, first of all, the analogy I think is spot on, which is that that massive overbuilding back in the internet days, Global Crossing spends all this money building undercover, underground rather, uh, connectivity between US and Europe. And yes, if you invested in Global Crossing, you would have lost your money, 
But on the other hand, we, the consumer, all benefited because we now have a much more resilient global internet that wouldn't have otherwise existed. So today, look, the massive funding of last mile, reverse logistics, e-commerce fulfillment, all these areas of logistics that power e-commerce, mm-hmm. they're all here to stay. So we could debate whether some of the companies that have been funded in the last three years will fail. And some of them will, of course. Yeah. But as a category, those of us who are consumers, right, when you buy something online, you're going to have a better experience because of this huge network of last mile reverse logistics e-commerce fulfillment and other supply chain services that's there. So so in the end, the consumer is the big winner. That they are the big winner. I, have you seen any real awesome innovations in reverse logistics during this time period? Because I know that's always been an issue. It's a, a cost driver. Uh, what kind of innovations or, or techniques that, uh, that, that you've seen over the last 18, 18 months, two years? Yeah, so reverse logistics is a huge deal I think for all of us, for, for several reasons. One, if 8% of what people buy on, um, in stores gets returned online, it's 30%. So you've got four times the returns rate for something that you buy online. And that's built into people's behavior. There's this idea of laddering or bracketing that you buy something online. You, of course, wouldn't do this. I, no, I, I would never do this. But, but 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 many people will say, all right, I'm here's my size. I'm going to buy this size, one below, one above, and then uh, I'll keep one and return the other two. And guess what? When when you create that process, it costs ten times more to return something from a transportation standpoint than it did on the forward side. And so it's a huge cost. It's bad news for brands. It's bad news for, uh, for you know for the retailers. Bad news for the environment because a lot of that ends up getting wasted, mm-hmm. you know, landfilled, you know, destroyed or otherwise. And so, you know, for 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 double bottom line reasons, uh, it makes sense to improve that. So, Reverse Logics, which is a company that we invested in last year, was focused on this. And what we loved about them is they figured out how to do true end-to-end returns management. They're really, if you think about it. We all know what a TMS is. We all know what a WMS is. We all know what an OMS is. Shouldn't there be an RMS, right? A reverse management system that can handle the whole process end to end. And that's really what they've gone after. And they've done a great job. And they've won FedEx and DHL and a variety of others. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always interesting. I, I, I know why you know, smaller retailers do that. Online retail, retailers do the free returns to encourage purchases. But it kind of just adds to the problem. Is don't don't you agree? It adds to the problem of reverse logistics whenever everyone's offering free returns. Well, exactly. You, know? you gotta you gotta compete with it. So yeah, you do. But you know, this is a way to help solve that. And in the end, with great returns management, mm-hmm. one, you could do a better job of reselling what was bought the first time. Yes. So you don't take that huge markdown. Two, better for the environment because if it gets resold, it's not getting landfilled or, or otherwise dumped. And three, you could turn a loss center into a profit center, yes. which is great for everybody. It is great for everybody. Well, let's talk, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk. You're an investor in, in, in Everett's, right? Um, they have Ukrainian operations, and that's something that has been top on your mind. You've been activists uh, about the, the war in Ukraine. I'd like to just turn the, the floor over to you and... Um, and let everyone know how they can get involved, number one, what's going on, and what you, you're seeing um, from, from your point of view. Sure. Thank you. Well, so let me start with, with Everest. So 
Everest is a truck brokerage company, tech-based, terrific business based in Chicago. The majority of their people a year ago, three months ago Mm -hmm. even, were based in Ukraine, in Kyiv. And I went there and spent time in September. And I don't know if anybody here has been to Ukraine, but it's an amazing place. And you're very much uh, uh, conscious of the fact that there are two different worlds. There's the Soviet side, Mm -hmm. and there's this feeling of oppression you big intimidating buildings, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the closer you get to the building, it's it's laid out in a horseshoe format that makes you feel small. And this was a conscious part of the Soviet architecture. It was designed to make you, the individual, feel like resistance was futile. You couldn't challenge this massive system. But there was also this entrepreneurial energy. There were all these people who were fired up, excited about uh, leaving the old way behind, moving towards freedom, democracy, human rights in the West. And so it was exciting to be a part of it. And so on February 24th, when Putin launched his war against Ukraine, the first thing that, that I wanted to do was make sure that the people of Everest were safe. And we initiated uh, an evacuation in partnership with a group called Project Dynamo, which does life-saving work to get they got Americans out of Afghanistan, then Americans out of Ukraine, and now they're helping anybody that needs it. The second thing was to say, okay, well, what could we do to help? And look, we're all in the supply chain world here in this room. And so the natural first move should be, what could we do to use the things that we know in order to help the people of Ukraine survive this horrible World War II-esque attack on, on their country and their people? Yes. So... It turns out that there are huge needs on the ground in Ukraine. And if you talk to people in the Ukrainian government or NGOs like the Red Cross, JDC, ICRC, what do they need most? Food, medicine, medical supplies, defense equipment. Great. So we noticed that there is nobody focused on giving the people on the ground what they needed the most. Guess what? That's a supply chain problem. It is logistics all the way. So let's use logistics to solve it. And so what we did is... We, first of all, just created a coalition, hence the name, Ukraine Logistics Coalition of NGOs and the Ukrainian government, suppliers that could donate food, medicine, medical supplies, defense equipment, and transportation companies, some of whom are here at this conference, willing to donate transportation. And we are creating, uh, as a nonprofit, a marketplace that's connecting all of that electronically. We've already donated $22 million in medical supplies that's now on the ground. And we're working with fantastic partners. We're actually in the midst of setting up a, what will be ultimately a live uh, connection with the Ukrainian government to be able to say on a real-time basis, what do they need the most? Mm -hmm. And so so that's what we're doing. in terms of what people can do to help? Yeah, I would like to, to, to definitely let you tell everybody here in the audience who's live streaming, who will watch this video on demand, how they can get involved. Because we're all part of logistics. We're all part of, part of the supply chain. And there, there's something that we can do because the hardest part, getting all those supplies there, is actually getting it there. Thank you. I'd be delighted to. Look, I think there are three things that everybody here can do to help, okay? One is, you know, You can do what I've done and many others here have done. You can give money. You can give money to terrific groups on the ground, JDC, Red Cross, ICRC, and and various others. We're getting a 501c3 for the Ukraine Logistics Coalition. So at some point, you know, that too. But that's that's one. Two is 
you can join the Ukraine Logistics Coalition and you can encourage your company and the companies that you work with to join. We're particularly interested in companies that can either provide in-kind transportation like trucking to get to airports or airplane capacity to go from JFK to Warsaw or last mile trucking from Warsaw uh, ultimately into Ukraine. So helping get more transportation companies to join as partners and to donate services. The third is, if you know companies in the pharmaceutical and medical supplies arena, okay, and I'm, companies like Merck or Pfizer or Amerisource or, uh, or, or anybody else in that ecosystem, there is a desperate need for first aid kits uh, uh, and other pharmaceutical and medical supplies. And all the details are on the site at logisticscoalition.org. But go talk to the pharmaceutical and medical companies that you know, ask them to donate. This isn't just about doing something today. This is about a systematic process. This is going to be a multi-year process. Even if Putin ended his war today, which he's not going to, the people of Ukraine are going to need help for a long time. They will. They will. Thank you so much, Ben, for, for, for doing that, putting that together. And um, thank you for joining us here at the Future Supply Chain. And good luck with everything. Kevin, thank you. Thank you, Ben.